Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hey there. How are you guys doing? Glad that you're here. Welcome back. This is probably the third episode that I've done on this part of my story where we were youth directors in a church in New Jersey in the inner city. And hopefully I'll finish the episode today because it's difficult to remember these things. It's hard, but this was an important part of my life kind of unforgettable, except for the names. The names, I've forgotten a lot of the names, so I didn't have to try really hard to predict their identity because I forgot their names. (laughs) And some really difficult parts in my story were, uh, we're going to be talking about suicide, so that will be towards the end of this episode, but if that is a huge trigger for you, I will definitely let you know when it's coming. You can listen to the rest of the episode up to that point. I will give you a warning that we're going to transition into that part. That's why I put it at the end. But I'm just going to jump into the story where we left off without doing any review. Because there's a lot to say. Here we go. Speaking of soul winning, we had what was called the Foster Club. So the Foster Club was started by First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. I think it was started by Jack Kyle's wife, if I'm not mistaken. And foster means light. And so it was a group of ladies who memorized a program of soul winning so they could go during the day while their husbands were at work or doing their ministry work, the women would go and do soul winning door to door and so robin was in charge of doing that and then andy's wife good grief i don't remember her name either we'll call her barbara robin and barbara invited a bunch of us a bunch of the ladies in the church to learn the system to go door knocking and now as a bible college graduate of a missionary bible college I had four semesters of soul winning. I knew how to lead people to Christ. I knew how to tell my testimony. We were trained in that, but the rest of the people in the church were not trained. So that was part of my ministry was training these ladies because I had experience. I've been through the terror of knocking on my first door. I've worked through that. I'm not saying I still wasn't terrified. (laughs) Maybe not as terrified as before, but I was I was still scared knocking on doors. So we followed this program. It was basically how to, you know, knock on somebody's door, how to get some sort of, you know, find something to talk about, which would put them at ease, you know, talk about the weather or about their kids or something in their home or what do you do for a living, something to put them at ease to get a conversation going. And then we would talk about heaven where are you going to go do you know where you're going to go when you die right now so that's the first question that we get to open the door and then you have the other questions all of romans road romans 310 romans 323 um 623 10 9 and 10 uh first john 5 13 you know john 3:16. And a few other verses that I don't remember were in there. And it is a system. The program teaches you exactly what to say. I think I still have the book in my bookshelf. I haven't looked to see if I still had it. So a big part of it was rewards. You, t- you kept track of who you led to the Lord. And they told you how to, I call, close the sale. How do you get them to pray? Ask Jesus into their heart. And that's all that counted as... We came back to the church and we talked about how many souls we saved that day. 
So it was Phyllis, me, Barbara, Robin, and the gal that was my voice student. So we'd all team up to two teams. One team was on one side of the street and the other team was on the other side of the street. So there are two of us together for safety reasons. But yeah, you got a tally for how many souls you won that day, which was crazy. And so if you have your partner with you, it's like whichever person got the unbeliever to say the sinner's prayer got the tally. And then you got another tally in your little book for having them come to church. It's one thing to get them to say a prayer. It's another thing to get them to actually come to church. So you get a tally for that. And then you get another tally for having them come down the aisle and get baptized. It was hard. I never got anybody to come to church or get baptized. You got prizes and stuff when you got to a certain amount of souls that you saved. And again, how you got the tally by them praying the prayer. So I remember going with, I was paired up with Robin and we would go door to door and this lady, this housewife would answer the door and Robin would start talking and the person who's not talking is supposed to pray and help out with fielding questions. So Robin's talking a mile a minute. She, that's how she is. She just talks and she's very excited about Jesus and housewife is not interested and she's closing the door <laughs> and, and Robin sticks her foot in the door so she couldn't close it. And I'm just, my eyes are just like popping out of their head. And the lady kept saying she wasn't interested and, oh, well, you know, you're going to go to hell if you don't pray this prayer. And she's like going through the Romans road at like breakneck speed on the porch, some housewife. And, and this happened more than once. Only housewives, okay, they'll talk to you. But so they had this point where she wanted to get rid of us. This was my opinion. So you, would you like to pray and ask Jesus into your heart and get saved today? Okay. So repeat after me this prayer. So she'd have this housewife repeat the prayer and, um, and then we'd, we'd leave. And of course, part of the program is that we follow up with the people that we led to the Lord. They wouldn't answer the door or we'd go in there and talk to them and, you know, they wouldn't come to church or some of the other ladies, they had people coming into the church. Did these people get saved or not? I don't know. I had 55 people that year, the year that I was in the foster club, 55 people on my tally that I got them to pray the sinner's prayer. I don't know if they were really saved, if they were sincere. That isn't up to me. It's up to me is that I share the Lord with people. But I think that form of evangelism is very manipulative. And if somebody says, no, they're not interested, that's, that's the end of the story. You can't force somebody to get saved. People don't want to say no, or they don't want to hurt your feelings. So they'll go through the motions and they'll pray that prayer. But there's no regeneration. I saw the generation of my grandmother. And there will be people that I lead to Christ in the future that I see generation. I see their lives changed. Anyway, one part of the foster club I did not like was we're a bunch of ladies. And, you know, the men are off doing whatever. And we felt pretty safe in our four square mile town. But we ran out of houses to knock on after a while because we were, it was every Wednesday morning we were out there knocking on doors with I guess the 10 of us so we started going into Camden and Camden is extremely dangerous called the murder capital at least that's what they said and it was far enough that we couldn't walk so we would take the the bus because we had a bus route um, I wasn't in charge of the bus route at that time I think the treasurer of the church had a little tiny school bus and he was he had a bus route along with the pastor's son I think his name was Josh well we'll call him Josh I'm not sure if that's the right name so Josh and the treasurer ran the bus ministry so we would borrow the bus when 
we would go into Camden. And I remember one day very distinctly, we got on the bus and there wasn't very much gas in the bus. And I told her, I said, well, shouldn't we go get gas? She's like, well, I don't have money for gas. I forgot to ask my husband for gas money. And I, I had no money either in my purse. And uh, I said, well, how are we going to go to Camden if we don't have very much gas in the bus? We're going to run out of gas. And she's like, oh, we should ask God to provide and pray that we can get there and back without having to buy gas. Like, I don't know. Well, you have to have faith. And I said, well, shouldn't we invite one of the men to come with us? So we have to have faith. The men are busy. This was a town, had a lot of drugs, a lot of gangs, a lot of a lot of bad things happened in that town. And uh, to be honest with you, I was afraid. I said, you know where we're going? She says, yeah, I've got this section of houses. I think we'll try. And neither of us had a cell phone. I think Danny had the cell phone for the day because I, I didn't know we were going to go into Camden that day. Because if I did, I would have brought a baseball bat or something. We had no protection. It was just a bunch of girls. This was before my martial arts days. Um, you could not have a firearm in New Jersey, even though Danny had firearms in the house. We did not tell anybody we had firearms. More about that later. But so I kept saying to Rob and I said, you know, maybe we should go back and get somebody to go with us. And she kept on saying, well, you have to have faith that the Lord's going to protect us. That, you know, Robin, you know, God gave us a brain, and I don't think this is very safe. I think we should purposely go into a dangerous area with not enough gas in the car, with no cell phone, with no guys around to back us up if something terrible would happen. We're knocking on strangers' doors. We don't know what's on the other side of those doors. But I don't know, she thinks she should have faith in God. And so I was scared, but we went and she divvied up the teams and we were on one side of the street and they were on the other side of the street and we kept an eye on each other. And we went a few times into Camden on Wednesday mornings and we got a lot of souls. A lot of people prayed and we would ask the kids if they wanted to join our bus route. So we did get a bunch of kids for the bus route. I'll have to say I didn't have very much faith in safety, but we never got hurt. Nobody ever grabbed us and pulled us into their house. Um, we never were shot at or harassed. And I think that was a miracle because um, it was a dangerous place. Those of you that have lived in the inner city anywhere know this to be true. You just, you just don't go knocking on doors by yourself. <laughs> Well, we were talking about stories when we got back to the church. We would talk about what what we did right, what we did wrong, and what we could improve on. And I think Robin and Barbara ran into, um, they knocked on some guy's door, and he was buck naked. And you knock on people's doors, and they don't, they want to get rid of you. They'll answer the door, and they'll be naked, or they won't have hardly anything on at all to shock you and to get you to go away. Most of the time that worked. Robin and Barbara said they would like just look at his eyes and go through their spiel of the Romans wrote as fast as they could possibly do uh, without um, looking at his nether regions. <laughs> and then this other place they knocked on doors at was, um, it was Barbara's turn to talk. And, and the guy opened the door and he had these blue eyes like Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Biggest blue eyes she said she'd ever seen, and they were just dumbfounded. They couldn't even talk. <laughs> and he's like, "What do you want?" <laughs> I've been there. I've been there where I I lost my tongue. Cat's got my tongue, and I don't know. I don't remember what she said, but they blubbered out something. Here, here's a flyer for our church. You want to come to our church and. Have a good day. Bye. <laughs> I don't think they got through the Romans road on that door. Uh, but yeah, we went back to the church and miraculously, the times that we went to Camden, we, we were never harmed. 
Thank you, Jesus. Maybe I should have been ashamed of myself because I didn't have faith that the Lord would protect us. I'm just saying you should be prepared. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying I wasn't going to go, but I'm the kind of person that likes to prepare for the worst case scenario. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, but Danny and the pastor, Jim, would go into Camden. The guys would go soul winning too. I think it was on Thursdays. They would go soul winning and they had what's called the Fisherman's Club. And it was the same thing as the Foster's Club, but it was for the guys. The guys that did not have a day job, they would go on Saturdays. So Danny would go with Pastor Jim or Pastor Andy and go into Camden. And I don't know what part of the city they were going to, but um, there were shootouts and there were bullets flying over their head and they were hiding underneath cars. And Danny would come back from soul winning and saying, wow, that was, that was pretty scary. I'm surprised we didn't get shot. But Pastor Jim was the same way. He was like, when I confronted him about it, I said, why are you going into that area of the neighborhood? He's like, well, we got three people saved. Okay, I'm really glad that three people got saved, but I was pretty afraid for Danny and for the guys that went into the city. But nobody got shot. Thankfully, nobody got um, beat up. Or Pastor Jim was a big man. He was... I think he was six foot two, if I recall. And he was big, wide, big, big boned man. So just imagine like a big Frankenstein knocking on your door. Hey, you want to get saved? Um, he's a very nice man. He's a teddy bear, but he intimidated a lot of people with his stature. So maybe the thugs on the street didn't harass them because Pastor Jim and his size who knows? Perhaps it was all God protecting them. I hope so. Willing to give credit to the Lord for that. Thank you, Lord, for protecting them. So anyway, I have, in the future, I've done soul winning door to door, and it was always much easier in the future, in future churches, to knock on doors because of that experience in New Jersey and the fear that I had to overcome. Yeah, when we went door knocking in the future and and I was training other people it was easy as easy as pie to go knocking on doors it's like well if I can do it in Camden New Jersey I can I can do it in Phoenix heck and you know my partners would be you know shaking in their boots and stammering just like I used to do it so you know the Lord teaches you certain things trained you in his own special way to go out there and win souls for him. I don't always agree with the methods, but Danny had said that he had won a few people to the Lord. So yeah, let's talk about moving into the new building. Uh, we all worked very, very hard to get that new building completed. We failed inspection three or four times, I remember. I mean, Danny knew enough about code to know that we were not going to pass. The electrician would come and say, no, you need to fix these things. You need to fix those things. And, but I think we completed the repairs and got the tile and the classrooms and the sanctuary completed, sound system done and the piano purchased. And we only did the first floor. The second floor we did not do because we didn't have the money to complete the second floor while we were um, still at the church. So we had a, a big celebration on the day that everything was finally completed. First service. So I played the piano and I sang. I think it was notoriously, the church will rise. It looked pretty nice when we cleaned everything up. Yeah, so our church grew. The children's church, we were in charge of, of course, because we were youth leaders. Of course, multiracial kids that came from Camden or from the town that where we lived. Uh, so we had a good mix of kids, different ages. Uh, and most of them 
Their parents were not saved. Their parents did not come to the church. So they were wild. I thought that the kids at college junior church were wild. These kids were wild. Like I just gave them a bunch of sugar wild. They were pretty hard to um, get them to stay in their seats and listen to a sermon. Pastor Andy would would come down and, and preach for the kids. Danny would preach for the kids. And I think um, Andy's son was a teenager, old enough to preach for junior church. So I think he was 14, 15. And we would have prizes and we would have uh, different incentives to, one, come to church on the bus, two, to bring your Bible, three, to read your Bible. Some of them couldn't read. We made a chart of um, little stickers we could put on the chart. Okay, I brought somebody to church as a visitor. I brought my Bible. I memorized my verse. We'd have verse memorization. We would do, you know, sitting still, sitting still in church, not, you know, acting up in church. You can get a sticker for that. Everybody had their name on the chart. You get a sticker. One of the stars you could earn was dressing nice for church, wearing a suit and tie. And yeah, looking back, the only ones that had suits and ties were staff and the staff's kids. Most of the kids, they had, I mean, they were poor. They didn't have, they didn't have money to go out and buy a suit. But we would say, okay, you know, comb your hair, take a bath, try and look your best with what you have for Jesus. And the women were usually assigned to keep the peace during church. And I don't remember whose wife it was. Goodness gracious. I think it was the treasurer's wife. But she got upset one day because we had put on a contest that if the kids got all of the categories for that month, they got, you know, stars all the way across, then we were going to take the kids to, um, I think it was an amusement park nearby. We were going to take them some sort of a park for a reward for getting the most stars. And the treasurer's wife just started crying and getting upset and stating and accusing us of saying that there will be some kids that won't be able to go on the trip because they didn't have enough stars. And I said, yeah. She said, well, a lot of these kids, well, they, they, don't, um, they don't have a suit and tie and, or they can't give themselves a bath. And I said, I said, there are a lot of other ways to earn those stars. The kids with the most stars get to go on the trip. They can earn stars by being still in church, by participating in the lessons, raising their hand, bringing their Bible to church. I mean, half of them would leave their Bibles at home and they wouldn't get a star. That's not my fault. It's not Danny's fault. But she went up and reported us to the pastor and said that, we were being unfair to the kids. And I explained to the pastor, if you want us not to do the contest, we're trying to motivate these kids, have some fun way to motivate the kids. And my memory serves me. We were still allowed to do the contest, but it wasn't allowed to be based on what they were wearing. Regardless if you were poor or not, you can memorize your verse. And I had worked with some of these kids to memorize their verses. Because, of course, the treasurer's wife was crying and saying, well, these kids, they don't know how to read and they can't memorize a verse. And I'm like, really? Okay. This kid over here that you say supposedly can't learn a verse, he just blurted off all these baseball stats from his favorite baseball player. Okay. So don't tell me that he can't memorize a Bible verse. He just needs to try a little harder. <laughs> So I would work with a lot of the kids. If they couldn't read, we would just pick some a way that they could. We would do arm movements or we put the words to a song or we would break it up into two pieces to make it easier for them to learn it. And then we would put them together. There's all kinds of tricks. You know, the older kids, they used flashcards, index cards. This was back before all the fun fun games you could do on your phone. So I remember 
I think that we took three kids to the amusement park and that was that was great. We also had candy and we had prizes that weren't related to going to the amusement park. Um, they had enough sugar to be running around the room and we got them on the bus for bus captain to take them home and I'm sure their parents didn't appreciate being all riled up after drinking all the sugar, but maybe they didn't care because they were never home. Uh, a lot of their parents were in prison or they didn't care where their kids were. So it was a time to invest in those children. We did see fruit from that. Lots of wonderful, wonderful kids. But the sour part of the story is that there was a family that came into the church and I think he was graduated from Bible college. I don't think he was from Pastor Jim's school, but it was a husband and wife and a couple kids in grade school. And they lived out in the country, probably an hour, 45 minutes to an hour away up north. And we call it the country. They started coming to the church and they decided to join the church. And we found out without any meeting whatsoever or conversation with us that the pastor decided to hire this family as the youth pastors. That was really a stab in the back because, okay, we've been here serving in this church. We helped you build your building. We helped you with your music ministry. We've invested our lives into these children. And you go behind our back. You didn't even tell us that you were going to hire another youth pastor to replace us. And to take us out of our position. Yeah, it was bad. I'm not saying that these, these folks were bad people. They were the husband and wife team. Uh, they were very nice people. Their kids were very well behaved. I don't know, maybe the pastor didn't like Danny. Danny was, yeah, we'll get to Danny in a minute, but I didn't think that we deserved to be taken out of our position after working so hard. We had, So they announced in the church in front of everybody without telling us, that here's your new youth pastor, pastor so-and-so and sister so-and-so and their two kids. And we were really mad. And we were thinking about leaving because Danny was not going to be upstaged by anybody. So kind of like a little bit of bad blood going on because he wanted to be in charge of the kids. And so we had a decision to make whether are we going to leave or are we going to serve in the church as lay people? And I told you about the pastor's preaching. He preached all the time about you know, pants on women and earrings on men and all about standards and about how TV was wicked. So it was a very good family, but he started picking on this family um, because they were living in the country and they refused to move their family into the city to be the youth pastors. I don't blame him. I mean, I told you what kind of a city we were in and he wanted to keep his family in the country where they lived, where they thought it was safe and they were willing to commute into the city. I didn't have any problem with that at all. I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. They had two very young kids who were not raised in the inner city. Oh, but Pastor Jim decided that he was going to humiliate these folks on the pulpit. So he started making jokes about, you know, you can't preach to the frogs. New Jersey has swamps. So he was claiming that they lived near a swamp and that the youth pastor would be preaching to the frogs. And that's what fundamental Baptists do is that they humiliate people from the pulpit. Pastor knew that we had a television set and they always brought it up. You should never put any wicked thing before your eyes. I agree with that, but you have to have discernment. You can't shelter yourself from everything in this world. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. I firmly believe that now. I firmly believed it then, but I was probably the only one. You can't be the Holy Spirit for people. You can't tell a family that they have to move into the city. 
You can't tell a family they can't watch the TV. You have to strengthen your relationship with the Lord and pray and ask, what what are the shows that my family should be watching? What are the shows my family should not be watching? That's called the priesthood of every believer. You are the priest of your home. Pastor is not the priest of your home. You answer to God for your family. And that means whether you have a a husband and wife with kids, a single mom with kids. Um, A lot of my cousins were raised by their grandmother. You are the head of the household, your family unit. You answer to God for your family unit, period. So the pastor, of course, would, would be doing that, making people feel bad. We would have a lot of missions conferences and we would have camp meetings and we would have visiting preachers that preach the same way. We had this camp meeting preacher. He was the director for BIMI, Baptist International Missions. He was raising support for himself. During the missions conference, uh, he was the director for Germany. And I had considered going to Germany at one point. Danny and I were considering at one point going to Germany, but it came down to that Danny didn't want to learn German. But one of this preacher would preach about how, you know, he's old, but he still has fire in his belly. It was a really gross way of saying just because he has gray hair doesn't mean he doesn't have a sex drive or sex appeal. I thought, and he said that on more than one message about how he still has fire down in the stove, fire burning in his bosom, and how him and his wife still got it. Okay, thought that was kind of awkward, but yeah, some really strange things would happen in the church that in the end pushed us out. We had Kevin come to the church on during a missions conference, you remember Kevin, Joy Harris's oldest son in Australia. If you didn't hear that episode, uh, be sure to go back and listen to that one. Joy Harris and Jason Harris. Jason is Kevin's brother. So I invited Kevin and his wife to come to the church for support during a missions conference because they were on deputation and they were going to Australia. They had not had children yet that I remember. But yeah, it was cool having Kevin come and with his wife, Debbie, and it was like old times. And Kevin is a great singer. He has a great tenor voice. And I think I mentioned that we did a song during graduation ceremony. But I said, hey, let's do a song together for the missions conference. You, me, and Debbie, we'll do a trio. Let's sing this song. And And he was adamant he didn't want to do the song. I still don't know why. But he, you know, threw the submit to your husband thing and told Debbie that they were not going to do it. I think me and Debbie wound up singing a song, a mission song that we both know. I think that was acceptable to Kevin. But Kevin went soul winning with the pastor and did a bunch of work on the church building because he was very handy had a lot of skills so kevin and kevin came and worked his behind off and he had a servant's heart and they expected to be supported at the end of the conference they went off on deputation and i remember connecting with them later much later we lost touch until i was in phoenix i remember emailing him once He mentioned to me that Pastor Jim did not support them at the end of the conference. And I thought, what? I don't understand. Why didn't they support you? He said, well, they never gave us an answer. I came to find out that they never supported any of the missionaries that came that week. I believe that the assistant pastor, Andy, they wanted to be paid more. So I found out that they increased the money they were paying to the associate pastor, but they didn't support any of the missionaries 
that were on deputation that came. That's unfortunate. I was pretty mad to hear about that. It's like, if you don't have the budget or you don't have the confidence, especially on my recommendation for Kevin and his wife, what kind of people they were, that you should support them. That's why I had you invite them. You shouldn't have a missions conference unless you know that you can financially support them. Uh, but they don't listen to me, obviously. And then the and the pastor's son, I haven't really talked about that much, but he was a good kid. He was 16, 17 years old. He was typical pastor's son and went soul winning. But he got a job selling Kirby vacuum cleaners. And if you know anything about Kirby vacuum cleaners, they're expensive. And the pastor is trying to push these vacuum cleaners on our humble little church. I tell you, I couldn't afford a Kirby vacuum cleaner. I didn't, to be honest, I don't really like them. I cleaned houses for a living, if you remember. I would not use a Kirby vacuum cleaner. I wouldn't use a Dyson vacuum cleaner. They're too complicated. They too expensive to maintain, and they're not really that user-friendly. Got really mad when, after the church invitation, the pastor got up in front of the church and let his son do his salesman's pitch for the Kirby vacuum cleaner in church. And he had everybody stay until there were people that would commit to buying a Kirby vacuum cleaner. I left church that day and I said, you know, Danny, it's, that's wrong. You can't use the church to sell your kids vacuum cleaners. You know, you should do his own sales. Uh, yeah, that put a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. We had a all-night youth activity. Now, again, at this point, we are laymen. We are not on staff anymore. We decided to have a youth activity. It was an all-night skate. You know, we need chaperones for to go to the roller ring and my friend Brian one of my groomsmen and one of my preacher friends at Bible college he was in our wedding party we invited him to come up to stay with us at the church and then he would be one of the chaperones at the skate ring and this was you stayed up all night so Brian our friend Brian is a black man and he's from South Carolina. So he came up from South Carolina. And at one time we had gone to South Carolina to um, visit him and his family one time. They had some sort of family reunion and he invited us to go down to where his family was. And boy, they can cook. Ooh, biscuit fill. Ooh. Oh, so we stuffed ourselves at his um his family's house so anyway he's a good friend and we invited him up since he was black uh let's say we had to we had to hide him to get him into the house remember black people could not be in the city over the railroad tracks past five o'clock um he came probably at it was dark we told him to come when it's dark because it's easier to sneak him in and we didn't, um, we didn't tell anybody that he was coming. We had a guest room. In fact, we would house missionaries when they came. Our friend would stay in the guest room when he arrived. So it's dark out and we had him put his coat over his head so the neighbors would not see who he was. And we snuck him into the house and we snuck him into the car to go to the, to the teen activity. And we had fun. We had a good time. And we had black people in our church. We had Hispanics in our church. The pastor had no problem with uh, Mr. Brian being at the church whatsoever. It was a multicultural church. That was one, one thing I would give Pastor Jim was he was not a racist. Very thankful for that. So the second day that we were in spending time with Mr. Brian... There were rumors because our next door neighbor is our landlord. We did not know the neighbors on the other side, but there were some talk that somebody knew that Mr. Brian was in the uh, house. And 
you know, the Ku Klux Klan would have, if they would have known a black man was sleeping in the neighborhood after five o'clock, the Ku Klux Klan would firebomb your house or at minimum your car. So we were scared and the second night we didn't have them leave the house. We just stayed in the house and we tried to close the blinds. But our, our landlord's next door, and I think he knew about it. He was very nosy. He could see into our windows. The blinds were open. So I think he knew about it. I remember the next day after after Brian was gone that he knew. He mentioned about our friend. And I said, oh, no, you didn't tell anybody, did you? And he says, oh, no, and I'm not racist. I don't care about you having the n-word he used as long as he's a good guy and i said oh he's my best friend i don't care then i didn't call anybody anyway we were so afraid when brian was staying the night the second second night that there were going to be people banging on the doors with torches that danny slept in the front parlor well he didn't do much sleeping he, he was in the front parlor with a firearm in case there were people coming to the door, in case anybody had seen Brian coming into the house. Uh, nothing transpired, thankfully. When it was time for him to, to leave, uh, I think it was Monday morning when all the workers were allowed to come in to start working on the docks. So we arranged to make sure that it was Monday morning when he left the house. We got him into his car as quickly as possible, <laughs> and he left. I haven't seen him since that day. I will say that that year was really hard for us in more ways than one. Danny's job, he didn't really like it. He wasn't making very much money, and we were demoted youth pastor status, and we had no privacy. I mean, church knew where we lived, and... If you didn't show up for church for whatever reason, of course, they would come to your door asking what happened to you. If you didn't answer the front door, they would look into your windows. They would call you on the phone. You didn't answer the phone. Yeah. So not only could the landlord look into our windows, so could the church. It was a bad time because a lot of relatives died that year on Danny's side of the family. We lost one summer. We lost a ton of people um because grandmom had eight siblings so we went to a lot of funerals so that was rough that was hard one terrible story of one of his uncles dying they found him dead and he was on the john so that was really really difficult i saved this part for last because um if you don't want to hear the story or it's triggering for you that you can probably end the episode now and go on and join us for the next episode. But I'm talking about a lot of the spiritual abuse in this episode, but there was still the regular abuse at home. There was still the abuse from Danny. There was still the playing the games with the sex. There was still the angry outburst. There was still a lot of the controlling going on. So I was miserable. He was miserable because he didn't like his job. Um, there was a lot of pressure on us because since we weren't on staff, well, they thought they could put thumb screws on us to, you know, make sure you're still winning souls. And how come you didn't win any souls this week? He was... Again, like I said, I got sick with digestive issues and I didn't know what it was. And I had gone through a colonoscopy and that was, so I was miserable because I was in pain from my digestive issues and going through all these horrible invasive tests. And Danny was having issues with his health because he was overweight. He was always overweight. But he gained some more weight and we went to the doctor for a checkup and the doctor put him on a diet. So at this point, I'm going to tell the story of when he attempted suicide. So if you don't want to hear that story or if you're triggered, then uh, we will see you next week.
But I'd made two pies that day for dessert. One chocolate, I think, and the other one was apple. And he already had a piece of apple pie for dessert, and he wanted another piece of pie. And I told him, you know, Danny, you weren't supposed to even have the first piece of pie, but you're definitely not getting the second piece of pie because the doctor put you on this specific diet. And he flipped out, going off on how he hates his life and he hates the church and he hates his job. He hates everything. You know, my wife doesn't submit to me, um, blah, 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 blah. He just lists everything that he hates about his life right then. And albeit, it was probably right in some of his complaints. I had some of the same complaints. I didn't like, I didn't like my life at that time. So normal people, if you tell them they can't have a second piece of pie, They'll just say, well, you know, up yours. I'm going to go and get myself a second piece of pie. Yeah. But Danny decided that he had nothing to live for. And he said that he was going to go upstairs and kill himself. And that meant putting a gun to his head and blowing his brains out. That's what he told me as he's running up the stairs. And I stood at the bottom of those stairs. He'd never done any of this before. I mean, he slammed cabinets and, you know, thrown things. And he's been violent as far as damaging property. But he's never escalated yet to this committing suicide. I stood at the bottom of those stairs and I thought, should I go up those stairs? Is he really going to kill himself? Is he going to turn the gun on me? I had no idea. And this all happened within 30 seconds, maybe. And this is a horrible thing to say, but I'm being honest here. That's what this show is about, being transparent. I did think for a minute, well, what if I just let things pan out, let him shoot himself, and that would solve some of my problems. I wouldn't have an abusive husband. Well, I didn't know I was being abused. I didn't say that to myself, but I thought along the lines of, Maybe my life would be better if he wasn't around. And yes, that's a terrible thing to say. It's a terrible thing to think. But it is what was going through my mind. And I prayed to the Lord. I'm like, what should I do, God? I don't know what to do. And I felt very strongly that the Lord was impressing upon my heart to take that to take that suicide threat very seriously. We are trained in school. We were trained to always take suicide threats as truth. Because Danny bluffed all the time. He, that was his thing. He manipulated me by bluffing all the time. So I thought, Lord, is this a bluff? Is he you know, just trying to scare me. All these thoughts going through my head. And I decided, okay, I'm going to go up there. I'm not sure what I'm going to find when I get up there, but I'm going to go up there and trying to talk him down. So I walked along the long hallway to our master bedroom. And sure enough, he was standing there next to the bed with a gun to his head. And he looked scared and I was scared. And I said, hey, what's going on? Um, why are you doing this? It's not that bad. It's not worth taking your life over. What's, what's going on? 
So he repeated all the things he said downstairs. I have nothing to live for. And, you know, might as well just shoot my brains out. And I said, don't you care about me? Don't you love me? If you shoot yourself, you know what that would do to me? I mean, even with the problems we had in our marriage and the abuse, the abusive behavior, um, I didn't want him to shoot himself. I really didn't. I don't remember everything that I said, but I think, you know, I mentioned that I would miss you. Your parents would be devastated. You already had enough deaths in the family. It's not that bad, things will get better. Let's work this out together. Put the gun down. It took me an hour to get him to put that gun down. And it was, I was shaking. My hands were shaking. I was physically sick. So he put, put the gun back into the drawer and we went downstairs into the kitchen and Right away, he's minimizing this whole thing. I said, what am I supposed to do? You just tried to hurt yourself. I didn't even know if you were going to hurt me. And he's like, oh, I never would have pulled the trigger. I never would have tried to kill you. I love you, but I said, no, if you were willing to kill yourself, then you probably would have killed me too. Self-preservation is one of the highest drives that God gives us. Survival instinct is extremely strong, even in horrible, horrible situations. So I didn't want to tell Pastor Jim what happened. I didn't really think I could do that. So I called Pastor Scott, our sending pastor, and I told him what happened. And I said, what do I do? Is he going to do this again? Should I take the guns away from him? What? And Pastor Scott said, well, you guys have been through a lot. And this was just the straw that broke the camel's back. The whole, you can't have a piece of pie because you're on a diet. And I agreed with him. I said, yeah, that probably was the straw that broke the camel's back. But what do I do? And they didn't have mental health services. The church didn't really believe in mental health services. And I know now, looking back, that I should have called 911. I should have called a therapist, a counselor to counsel him. He had, I already knew he had bipolar. This was probably one of those manic, manic modes. I was not educated on manic depressive. I am now, but uh, this was one of his low points. I did not call 911. I did not get him therapy. Uh, so we hung up the phone. And I told Danny, well, Pastor Scott says that we should step down. We should stop doing ministry right now, take a break. And he didn't want to do that. I already knew that. But we had to do something. And I, I said, I really don't want this to happen again. I don't remember what how it transpired that we got connected with this other church. There was this other church an hour away from us in the suburbs. I have no clue. Oh, no, I have no clue. <laughs> Trying to rack my brains as to how we found Berean Baptist Church. I don't remember the pastor's name or anybody in the church. It does is horrible. And we had visited there at one time, very small church. The building was historic, uh, like Victorian era buildings. And they had a church made out of a historic building. And they literally had 10 people and they wanted to, they needed a choir director. And with all the craziness that's been happening in the church, all that we had been through, they made him the choir director. They had a piano player. It was a church of old people. There was maybe two children, babies in the church. And so they asked Danny to be the choir director. 
you know, Danny doesn't sing very well, but he seemed to think that he could be a choir director. He did not know how to read music. Um, I was the one that was the musician, not him. He was the sound engineer, but they could not have a woman lead the choir or a woman song leader. You know, the song leader just gets up there and waves their arms like that. But the pastor at that church in Berean Baptist Church was convinced that with my assistance that he could be the choir director. And so we started going to that church and ignoring Pastor Jim and the church in New Jersey. And believe me, they tried. They would call every day and leave messages on our, our voicemail or answering machine. They'd look into the windows and asking why we weren't coming back to the church. And um, they said, we're going to another church now, but we haven't, you know, we haven't moved. We couldn't afford to move at that time. And so they were not, you know, very happy about that. So we pretty much had to close our blinds and turn the lights off to hide when we were home because they would come and try and get us to come back to the church. But we decided to go to the church at Berean Church and try and help them to increase their congregation from 10 people, just like we had done in other churches. Like I said, when things get rough, then Danny wants to move on to the next thing. He wants to leave and do something else. So that's what we did. I will definitely leave this story here because it's a good place to stop. So we will end the story here. We are we will be moving to Phoenix in the next episode. That is why I'm stopping it here because that's the big, big transition. So come back next week. I am going to leave you with a song, a song that I've recorded and hopefully that you will enjoy. None of these songs ever go with the episode. I hope you enjoy the song. And until next week, God bless you. Have a great week.
Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.